Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. The other day as I was channel surfing, I happened onto a program that was called An Audience with Lionel Richie. It was recorded in Britain. It was interesting, and I find some of Lionel Richie's music likable, so I stayed a while. At one point, he spoke about his having worked with Michael Jackson to write the lyrics for the song, We Are the World. He said it took them two days, although it could have been done in an afternoon. The reason it took so long, he admitted, was that during the creative time, as they lay on the floor of Jackson's study talking, he happened to notice a huge python slithering down the bookcase over against the far wall. He admitted that he had left as quickly as he could, and it took him two days to get up the nerve to come back and finish the song. In the program, he sang a new song that he had just written, and I believe he said it is featured in his new album, I'm Coming Home. Inspired by his children, he has called the song, Why? Now, I can relate to that, can't you? He was also joined on stage by Beverly Knight, a British singer just awarded the MBE. They sang Endless Love as a duet, and I found it very rewarding. I enjoyed it very much. One can appreciate talent like that. God gave each one of us special gifts and talents. These show how magnificent is our Creator, how unimaginably powerful, and how He has made us all so diverse, so similar and yet so different, some bursting with talent on display and some of us more quiet and reserved, but each possessing our own God gifts that we can use for His glory. At one point, I noticed he wore a large silver cross on a chain hanging from his neck. It's clearly visible on his chest between the folds of his shirt. I don't know what this symbol means to him, nor why he intended his audiences to believe as to why he wore it. People wear such symbols for many reasons. Some are legitimate, if I can express it that way, and others for not-so-good purposes. I won't try to guess. I can say, however, that while I enjoyed what I did watch and hear, I did feel I had to switch channels a little bit later on because some of the questions posed by his audience during the question time started to become quite suggestive. That's unfortunate because there was no need to go there, enough to enjoy the musical talent so lavishly displayed by him during the concert. Glorify the 
parts I did get to watch. Mr. Ritchie is a very talented artist and has many songs to his credit. The one he did spend some time discussing was the one with Michael Jackson, We Are The World. I don't recall all the lyrics now, but it certainly made a splash when it was released. I can remember it. All over the world it caught on like wildfire and became a very familiar tune, even being used in a number of advertisements. I can imagine that part of the reason for the popularity was the rhythm it was easy to tap one foot to that tune, to hum along, to find a commonality with the words too, and to share a familiarity with all the participants. After all, we are the world, and we are all nationalities, all ethnicities, all colors, men and women, boys and girls, in developed lands and in developing countries. We are all part of the human race. We can also say then we are part of God's masterpiece of creation, when he made man from it and from his side he made woman. The human race came into being, the same set of people for whom Jesus Christ later died. He became our Redeemer on Calvary, 
for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We are the world, said the song. People held hands and sang the words as they identified with them in the song. At that moment, they represented the world. They felt a part of that world. I doubt, though, if they thought that at that moment that they were a part of the same world that God so loved. Have you ever stopped and accepted God's gift as a part of that world for which Christ died, including you personally? I hope so. Not because of what I've done, but 
because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading. Here today and gone tomorrow. A wave tossed in the ocean. A vapor in the wind. Still you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you cast me when I'm falling. And you told me who Now with his message for today, here is Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are continuing our series on the topic of worship from a biblical perspective. It can be no doubt that one of the most amazing facts taught in Scripture is the fact that God actually seeks human beings to worship him. And in addition, he delights in them when they worship him according to his standards, his criteria. Or as Jesus puts it in John 4, when they worship him in spirit and in truth. Such worshipers are on God's most wanted list. I trust you are one of them. Listen also to the psalmist in Psalm 149, reading from verse 1. Quote, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of the godly ones. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the sons of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. Let them sing praises to him with timbrel and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, and he will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. Let the godly ones exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. End of quote. Notice, God takes pleasure in his people when they worship him as he directs. And also, we exalt in him when we do so. In other words, when we worship in spirit and in truth, God rejoices in us and God's enjoyment of us and our enjoyment of him. What a fantastic concept this is. Mutual enjoyment on the part of God and his people because of worship. Yet, it's really amazing how little emphasis is really placed on genuine worship and how little genuine worship is actually engaged in by the people of God in spite of the priority given to it in Scripture. Friends, listen. According to the Word of God, we were created to worship God. The psalmist says, for instance, in Psalm 43, verse 21, The people whom I form for myself, 
will declare my praise. And again, in Psalm 95, 6, the psalmist says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, our Creator. The Apostle Peter, speaking of believers, says that when we were chosen to worship God, listen to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the Apostle John, looking into the future in heaven, tells us that we are commanded to worship God. Listen to his words in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and the springs of waters. And so I say again, friends, we were created to worship God. We were chosen to worship God, and we are actually commanded to worship him. So let me ask you, is worship a priority in your life? No, let me put it this way. Is worship the true top priority in your life? If it isn't, it certainly should be if we are to take the word of God seriously. We should expect considerable confusion and diversity relative to worship, of course, from those who do not hold to the central truths of Scripture. However, it is most distressing to find such confusion within the evangelical, fundamental Christianity concerning the meaning of true worship. Robert Weber, a leading scholar on worship, in an article in Eternity magazine, made this condemning statement concerning the ignorance of the Christian in the matter of worship, and I quote him now. The majority of evangelical lay people do not have the foggiest notion of what corporate worship really is. To questions such as, why does God want to be worshipped? What is the meaning of an invocation or benediction? What does the reading of the scriptures, praying, or hearing a sermon have to do with worship? To those questions, he said, I received blank stares and bewildered looks. End of quote. I believe that Mr. Weber would receive the same blank stares and bewildered looks if he were to ask such questions of our Bahamian churches and Christians. For the most part, we have simply not been taught what genuine worship is in our churches. To many, worship simply means the preaching service, or perhaps a service where we go to be entertained with good singing, which means loud toe-tapping, hand-clapping, and so-called upbeat music, all geared to make the worshiper feel good. But is this really the Bible's definition of worship? Is this the kind of action and behavior that makes God feel good and enjoy our being in his presence? Let's see if we can answer these questions by looking at some of the words Scripture uses to describe the worship of God by his people. A brief glance at a good Bible concordance reveals that there are a number of Greek and Hebrew words which are rendered or translated to worship or worship in the scriptures. There are three pairs of words which emphasize for us 
three primary elements of true worship. The first element is that of humility. The most frequently used word in both the Old and New Testaments for worship is one which means to make obeisance to, or to bow down, or to prostrate oneself before. The Hebrew word is shakha, and the corresponding Greek word is proskuneo, proskuneo. Both words describe the act of bowing or prostrating oneself in humility, submissiveness, and reverence. The outward posture reflects an inner attitude of humility and respect. As the word relates to worship, it denotes a high view of God and a condescending opinion of self. And so, the true worshipper views God in his perfection, and man or self is viewed in his imperfection. It causes one to exhibit an attitude of humility before God for the privilege of coming before him. And so let me pause to ask you again, is such humility shown in our so-called worship services today? Or rather, are such services characterized more by self-projection, self-glory, and just plain pride? Not only pride in how well we can sing or play an instrument or preach, but also pride in how dignified we are because we don't show emotions by clapping or raising our hands. Such an attitude is directly opposed and contrary to the true meaning of worship, a word which at its very core denotes humility. This, then, is an essential element in genuine worship, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. But the word worship is also defined by the use of two other words in the Bible. Words that denote the true worship also includes the attitude of reverence. The Hebrew word is Yahweh, and the corresponding Greek word is Sebomai, Sebomai. The idea of both of these terms is that of fearing God. It is not so much the fear of terror and dread as it is the fear of wonder and awe at the majesty and greatness of the infinite God. The difference between humility and reverence is that whereas humility focuses inwardly, reverence focuses on the outward. We become aware of our finiteness and sinfulness in the sight of God's infiniteness and His perfection. The result is humility. The result is reverence. Reverence focuses upon the awesome majesty of God, then. This results in reverence in his presence. Friends, irreverence is antithetical to worship. They cannot coexist. God is a God of decency and order. Where there is irreverence, there is no genuine worship, the kind of worship that God seeks and the only kind he accepts. This was undoubtedly the case at Corinth, as recorded in 1 Corinthians 11. It was the irreverence of the current Corinthians at the Lord's table that required such severe discipline as sickness and even death. Paul said it was because they did not judge the body rightly. Now, if I understand Paul correctly, he is saying that to participate in remembrance of the Lord's sacrificial death in other words, to partake of the emblems which symbolize the body and blood of our Lord in a light or irreverent way is to bring upon ourselves the discipline of God himself. Such nonchalant, uncaring behavior and lack of spiritual discernment at the Lord's table 
reveals a spirit of irreverence which is diametrically opposed to true worship, worship in spirit and in truth. Now, there's a third and a fourth element also expressed in the biblical words for worship. Just let me hurriedly give you the meaning of the third one before we close. This term focuses on attitude. It focuses also on our actions. It is the element of service, which is the core meaning of the two other words used for worship, one being Hebrew and the other Greek. The Hebrew term is abad, and the Greek counterpart is latrio, latrio. They both mean to labor, to work, or to serve. In the Old Testament, this service was most often priestly service. In the New Testament, we are told that believers are all priests of God. So that this term does not apply only to the service of a few in the Old Testament, but of the entire congregation of believers in Christ. We are all priests, and so we are all to offer up to God spiritual sacrifices, including the praise of our lips. Friends, worship and service cannot be isolated. Scripture says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's what Jesus said to Satan when he tried to tempt Jesus to worship him. Jesus responded, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Notice service and worship go together. They must be integrated if it is to be true worship. My friends, this has to do with a response, but time is gone for today. We'll have to pick it up at this point next time, Lord willing. Until then, I pray that you will become a part of God's most wanted list, those who worship him in spirit and in truth. He is seeking for you. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. The great commander's promise, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment, listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound.
could happen in a moment. Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every morning for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our tolling will be Happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again.